I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, good, good. Nice. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Mm. You've got another piece went up on the ringer. That's right. Another. Pe- I can't remember which one it was now. But yes, a piece has gone up uh, in advance of the World Cup. Ringer.com forward slash soccer. Was it the Dark Horse one? Uh, yes, I think it was. Quoting your piece about chaos, actually. Did you? Everything you said about COVID and the pandemic throwing up chaotic results. There's just no reason why that doesn't apply to this World Cup with, mm. all, the different va- with all the different variables. Well, that's an interesting point because maybe we'll save it for a little predict. Should we do some predictions or stuff? Something later, chat about who we fancy for the win? Maybe, yeah, yeah we'll chat about that later, yeah, for we'll sure. we do the football sure. stuff for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've got an interesting th- thing about that, actually, which I'll, mm. I'll probably So yeah, I quoted that piece. Nice. Yeah, but I quoted that piece because it felt relevant, but yeah. Lovely. Go check theringer.com forward slash soccer for all of Moose's stuff. From before the World Cup, I imagine during. Yes, yes. There's some absolutely. other stuff got up on the ringer as well. Like loads of people have been writing about the World Cup. Don't forget to check Wright's house if you haven't already. It was episode 100 went up this week. Uh, Flo, Carl, and Mayoa joined Ian on the Wright's house feed. Go go find it. If you can't find it, go to the Wright's house Twitter page. Scroll down a little bit. There's a there are a couple of tweets with some links to. Spotify link or wherever you get your podcasts. Any other admin? I think that's it. Uh, we'll be running more frequently through the World Cup, as will Writer's House. You get two Writer's House a week through the World Cup and uh, multiple stadios. But we don't have a regular schedule, so we'll just be up. We'll just be up on your feed. We'll just be on the feed a lot more regularly. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And I think that is all the admin. So today we're going to look ahead to the World Cup. The Men's World Cup starts on Sunday. Yep. So let's get into it after this. 
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, so let's do the World Cup. There are a few other newsworthy bits in football at the moment. We're going to focus on the Men's World Cup, which starts on Sunday. Yes. I thought I'd just begin with asking you how you felt. Um, do you know what? Actually, obviously, because we grew up in a part of the world where, well, there was, you know, you can expect snow at Christmas. I feel like the first time there wasn't snow for Christmas and I was... I was like, oh my God, there's not going to be snow. It's like that. It feels like that, like where you're arriving at the point where you're like, okay, now the excitement's going to kick in, the Christmas spirit's going to kick in, and it, it hasn't kicked in, and it's not going to. It's, I don't think it's going to. It's like, it feels like um, the World Cup isn't a tournament, right? It's like an environment. It's a, there's an aura, there's like, in advance, you lead up to it and there's a thing that happens where you're like, you're under its spell and that, that spell hasn't arrived. And I think this will be one of the first World Cups. Russia had a similar element about it. This even more so, this is even more pronounced. This is a World Cup that I just think it's going to feel like a collection of games. Yeah, that's interesting. How, how about you? What's your... Uh, yeah, similar thing. And actually, I, I, I called my dad. I wanted to get his take from like a, uh, you know, like a... A, a more removed, yeah, yeah, kind of thing. yeah. And he was just like, I just, he, he said the same thing. He's just like, I just, I'm not really that excited about it. I'll watch some. That is, an, is a really good example, I think, in, in terms of like, and I don't want to say this in a dismissive way, but like, you know, my, it isn't my dad's job to do what we do, right? Mm. So let's say as a casual viewer or a casual football fan, the fact that there isn't universal excitement on, on a casual basis is... Which is normally the test. Is weird, yeah, is weird. The interesting thing about this World Cup I can't remember a football event where the off the field stuff was as front and center in the discourse on a mainstream basis as this. Mm. There are two reasons for that, I think. The first reason is that I just think that football discourse on that level has increased over time. It has, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. But I also think that on a mainstream level, there are a lot of people who have realized that they dropped the ball on the previous World Cup and are kind of making up for it. Do you know what? That's interesting. Yeah. And I, and I therefore can understand, I don't necessarily agree with, but I can understand certain people throwing in the what about everything about the previous World Cup, because remember, this was four years after Russia had annexed Crimea. Yeah, absolutely. I totally understand why people won't watch the World Cup. Mm. And I don't disagree yeah. with them, actually. Um, for us, it's our job to hold those, difficult, those difficulties with the football because that's yeah. they they do coexist and we have to i think we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't do both you have to do it because that's the reality of the sport you know with the champions league final we spent the first half of the champions league final podcast talking about police brutality 
Yeah, that's right. We're talking about football. That's right. That's how we do it. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Totally get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we've been watching the FIFA Uncovered documentary on Netflix, which I would recommend watching anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Yeah, which is fascinating. And I think watching it before the World Cup puts it all into just the big how did we get here thing. Yeah, and I also oh think, God, just one yeah, final yeah. thing as well, because I know yeah, sure, sure. a little bit. I also go think that I have a little bit of, um, this feels like a seismic moment for football. And I think that this is almost like the beginning of the next stage or the end of the current one. I feel absolutely the same. I feel like FIFA has got exactly what it deserved from the award of the World Cup to Qatar. Because I don't think you can understand Qatar as anything other than the logical culmination of what Sepp Blatter did the moment he won the election in 1998. The way that he formed FIFA so that it would be his fiefdom, basically, and you would have blocks of power that he controlled. Mm. You know, Qatar effectively came along, saw the structures he set up, and were like, oh, that's where power is held. That's how narrowly it's held, that accountability. We will literally just go along those same lines that Blatter laid out. So mm. as horrified as Blatter is in that documentary, he was destroyed by the same system. He created the same structure. And the funny thing about Qatar is this, when you talk about this being the, um, the end of one phase, it's almost like the Marvel things, right? Like this yeah. is like the end of, this like football phase. Let's say football phase one was like the amateur stage. And then phase two was like the globalization. And phase three was like maybe the effects, the globalization, like this sort of, this is the, the end of phase three. And really, you know, it's almost, it's so fitting that Infantino is living in Qatar. It's so fitting that the head of FIFA is living in the place, which is the most, unfortunately, you know, criticised um, World Cup in, in recent history. I mean, 1978 was horrifying in Argentina. There was a big thing about, in the FIFA documentary, about the... Um, 1978 about, World yeah, Cup, about yeah. The, but the amount of people yeah. that were caused to boycott 1978. Yeah, and I think something else is, I mean, when you say about it's, you anticipate like, the impending sense of something, whether it's doom or something else. I was thinking about this. I was like, why does this World Cup feel different? It feels like the first time, specifically the West, the Western world has been forced to fully look in the mirror mm. at the types of relationships it's made, right? Because, you know, we got like, you know, Western Europe and Switzerland is a joy to go through if you can afford an eight euro coffee, you know, but do, do you know what I mean? But it, we, we've not really had this thing where we've really had the Western world and the deals it's made and the complicity yeah. with regimes that aren't as free, uh, countries that don't have um, as much freedom for their citizens, right? And that's the thing. And this almost feels like, when I see all of this, I'm like, yeah, but this is just, this is a mirror. And Russia did not present a mirror because again, Russia was familiar, right? But weirdly enough, the thing about Qatar is that the scrutiny of what's happening in Qatar is actually the correct level of scrutiny. This is actually the correct level, like the level and the debt people are going into. And this is, I've said this a thousand times, this is what should have happened with Russia. Like these are the same things, like the LGBT stuff. Like I was invited to Russia to do some LGBT activism a few months before the tournament 2018. That's okay, what are the security arrangements? And they hadn't thought of anything. And I'm like, <laughs> that's extremely dangerous for someone like me. And yeah. they hadn't even thought about it because they were like, they didn't think Russia was other. They were like, oh, nothing's going to happen to you in Russia. So it didn't even occur to them. It's like, this is a classic example. Whereas if I was going to do the same thing somewhere like, you know, Qatar, they'd be like, oh yeah, watch out for this, watch out for this. And it's like, here's the thing, because you're so, you think that things on your doorstep are not a threat, but they actually are. And the way that Russia's gone on and behaved, the reason why I'm nervous is because this is fundamentally told authoritarian states, you can kind of get away with it. 
FIFA has been let off the hook a little bit throughout this process because so many eyes have been focused on actual Qatari policies. I think that's right. Like I've mentioned right. before about every, about the the issues around the World Cup being more more in the mainstream than I can remember for any other tournament. You know, everyone has read about the number of migrant worker deaths, but we also know about the the issues around the safety and the rights of LGBTQ plus people there. And you know, FIFA awarded this tournament, and after the tournament, people still need to keep the heat on FIFA. Yeah, do you know actually? I'm glad you said this. Can I just throw this in as well? I have to say this. In the Netflix Uncovered documentary, they don't go nearly hard enough in Infantino. I was extremely disappointed by that. They don't go hard enough in Infantino or in the Russia World Cup. And the Infantino is so disappointing because you see it, this documentary almost allows Infantino to swan in and sort of take over scot-free, actually. Like, even though he's a continuation. So this thing about like the World Cup still being in Qatar, um, at the end of the documentary, I watched it and thought, hang on a minute, this isn't actually very hard hitting because Seth Blatter's gone. And it's almost like, yes, the sins of the father, it's all Blatter. Only one member of the ex-co, of um, ex-committee, um, executive committee is there now. Yeah, only it's one almost member like, who, were, who voted for this World Cup is still there. So it's almost like, it's almost like move along, nothing to see here, which is the overall effect of it. Mm. Whereas what Infantino's done, like him, I mean, he was sitting there between Bin Salman and Putin. Yeah. And like, and yucking it up. And so there's a real thing about FIFA's accountability. You're absolutely right. And I just think with, with Qatar specifically, one thing I'd say about them um, is that there will never be another first World Cup in the Middle East. Yeah. And they blew it. And here's the thing, right? There are some really smart people, just as there are some people in FIFA that care about football. There are some smart people in Qatar that really care about the reputation, proud nation, everything. And here's the thing. The smart ones are thinking, this is awful. This is absolutely terrible. I'll tell you why it's terrible because it's a marquee event, right? It's a marquee event. And there are so many things that are avoidable, right? Looking through those reports, looking through the um, Human Rights Watch, very helpful guidance on reporters covering the World Cup. The overall sense I got, not to do too many specifics, but the overall sense really is that so much of this is avoidable. Yeah. Paying these workers properly. Look, this is a, a World yeah, Cup. An extremely, cost, extremely wealthy nation. It's cost like five times as much as the, was it 250 billion something? Yeah. Wild amount of money. There is enough money in that budget, right? To pay these people properly. And a lot of this goes away. And accommodate them. There are so many things. And this is the thing I look at this and go, you see, this is the thing. They tried to cut corners. And this is my specific criticism. Trying to cut corners on these fundamental issues, right? Thinking there won't be smoke. Thinking people won't come there, complain, send photos back to their friends and talk about it. The general conversation about this event, there's a lot of comparisons with, you know, Fire Festival and all the rest of it. And I think that's fair and that's deserved. And even I think if you look at the kind of deliverables, the measurables on what they wanted from this tournament in terms of national prestige, they haven't achieved it. And they've blown it, not just for them, but for, for the moment. They've I'm, blown the I'm, moment. And I think also as well is that like, those aren't the people who are going to bear the brunt of the criticism or feel the actual heat of the criticism. It's normal Qataris. And I think that it's, you said you wrote a great thread the other day. And one thing that you wrote in, um, was, was it a regime? It's not, is not its people. Right. Because you see what's happening in Iran right now. And a lot yeah, of people at, for yeah. years, they've, a lot of people for years have said, Oh, like Iran. So actually, no, here's the thing. Give people a chance to define themselves beyond yeah. how the, that power is behaving, that autocratic power is behaving because the power is tightly held in, these, in some of these states. 
right? Well, increasingly in the UK, to be honest, you know, yeah. imagine if people said, imagine if people said to us that represented us, what has been done that doesn't represent me at all. No, no, at the same, you know, at the same time, I think, so I think, I think, um, yeah, just to sort of, to your point and not to jump in too much, but again, this World Cup is far from the one in terms of the reception that anyone wanted, right? Than anyone wanted. Mm. And I, I wonder if there are people quietly thinking within the corridors of power, this wasn't worth it. This wasn't worth it. So here's the, in the short term, this is my verdict on it. I think in the short term, yeah, we have the World Cup. Yeah, Messi was here and he's looking great in prison. No, he's looking great prior to the World Cup. He's in great form. And we had this person come and sing here. But yes, here's the thing. When the party's over and the confetti is lying strewn around and people stop and think, what now? It reminds me of the scene from a film, much criticised for many reasons, but relevant in this one context, in goodness context, Charlie Wilson's War, where the US keep interfering in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. As someone goes, we've intervened, that's worked out. And the guy goes, hmm, well, let's see about that. Like, you don't know yet the effect. And I think with this World Cup, it's like, yeah, like it's being staged there and they can say they were the first to do it. But I think that the, the knock-on effect of this, like in the same way that Donald Trump's election like he won the election, but then if you look at like the backlash against a lot of stuff he did, the stuff that there's been tried since then, there's been a backlash against it. I think that people need to be careful about judging the effect of a tournament that looks like it's been successful, even from, you know, Qatar's point of view, we've got the World Cup, shut up and move on. Well, actually no, because when we move on, I think the ripple effect and the accountability that will be demanded of FIFA going forward, not just from outside FIFA, but crucially inside FIFA, if any people... Any people at all that like any level of FIFA listen to this podcast or get passed on to them. The thing that reassured me about the documentary made me feel really positive are there are good people in that organization mm. that really care about football. Some might say they're naive, they're ideological, but some might say, actually, how can we make change unless we're in the building? And I get that. I do get that attitude. I think that that documentary and this World Cup and the Russia World Cup, they've empowered people within FIFA more than ever before. And hopefully in the years to come, the people that care about football within that building we'll have a bigger say than ever before. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I think that this, this feels like a, a turning point in some a sense. Moment, because, yeah, yeah, a it moment. feels like a moment that goes bigger than whether Messi will win it or not. And I know that every yes. World Cup awarding, like every single sporting, major sporting event holds some kind of like political... Dimension, yes, yeah. for, for sure. Yeah, And this goes back to the 30s maybe yes. even earlier who knows like yes, yes. what feels different this time is that the mass discourse feels way more tuned in to the stuff that is going off the field to a level that I've never experienced before for, never. A football, for in a football sense and I think moving forward that will be a good thing what's happening now is that people are being held to account a little bit more Mm. on a bigger scale yeah, yeah. and I think a lot of that like I said at the top is down to a guilt of not having done that before so moving right. forward, whatever that looks like, it will be the post-2022 World Cup era for football. And I, I don't know what that right. looks like, but I know it's going to be different. You know, I think it's going to be really fascinating having the World Cup in 2026 in US, Canada and Mexico, because depending on which way the election goes, I think that actually either way that election goes, you're going to have conversations, protests, the whole range of things, because mm. the US, regardless of who wins the next election, has so many challenges you know, regardless cost of living, climate, and there'll be conversations about events of this nature and this cost and how ethical they are, regardless of who wins. And that's the thing. And those are going to be live conversations that will be really important. And FIFA is going to have to work a bit harder than before 
to justify its place in the world. And I think it's going to be so interesting for the next few years. Like it's, it's no coincidence, the vast sums being spent on, you know, recent national events in the UK, people looking, going, hang on a minute, that costs that much. And people are like living on the breadline. And all of a sudden it's going to be people increasingly looking to their own pockets and to the cost of these events and to the brazen nature of them politically and socially and going, actually, is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah. That's an important conversation. I think, look, I think these, these events, they do have a place in our society. And I say that not just because I'm a football fan, but I say there is something about the community that huge events provide. There is something there that I love and I think is special. There is a way that players from certain backgrounds are elevated in a way they're not in other areas of life that I think is really important mm-hmm. and pow- is powerful and inspiring. But I think you're absolutely right. The post-22 World Cup, almost like, I know it sounds silly, but like settlement. You know, they always talk about the post-war settlement. It feels like there's going to be like a post-Qatar settlement in a way. And I wonder what that's going to look like. I really do. Uh, for those of you saying we should just stick to football, we'll take a little break and then we fucking will. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. For those who have listened to Stadio for more than one episode, you know the deal by now. You knew what this was. They knew what this was. They just know what this was. They literally did. Listen. And from a football sense, I think it is just as interesting as any other World Cup that's gone before. And the reason I say that is because going into this tournament for the first time in a long time, there's a little bit of an unknown element. There is. And I think that it throws up something really, really interesting because of the way that the calendar has panned out over the last few years with and the, the congestion of, of, of football fixtures and the amount of evolution that so many teams have gone through, plus some key injuries to key players for certain sides. I genuinely think that this is probably one of the most unknown of World Cups Absolutely, in the modern era. Yeah, it's wild. Like, it's funny because people looking like, oh, that group is a group of death. There are multiple groups of death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's like multiple groups where big teams might not necessarily fancy themselves to come out. Mm. You look at even England's group, England, Iran, USA, Wales, right? That is a group where you get off to a bad start, you could be bouncing out. 
right? You look at that group with Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea, or Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, Japan. That is, whoa, these are like, <laughs> and, and also there's, there's something interesting with these teams where uh, people, okay, people might hate the pop culture analogies, but I might throw one in. Oh, you know, like, goes, everyone. You know when the Death, the Death Star is under construction? Are you talking about the Death Star again? Drink, everyone. Ha, ha, ha. The major, sort of traditional major powers in, in they're all very good, but they're all missing like one vital element to make them lethal, right? One vital element. So in Brazil, maybe a slight weakness in the right back area and maybe a slight weakness in the center of midfield, right? Um, France, again, a slight weakness in terms of the seniority because Pogba and Kante aren't there. And you're asking a lot of Trumani and Camavinga and Rabio to deliver in midfield. You're asking a lot, right? There's, so the traditional major powers in the World Cup, the big hitters, even Uruguay, who are brilliant. Fede Valverde is flying, Bentenko is flying, but there's an age element with Uruguay. So it's all like, there's places where there's a weakness and they can be hit. And the teams that have come up, like Senegal now, who are now a major power, really have to guard them as a major power. Senegal are peaking and they're, they're fearless. Like whatever happens to Senegal, it won't happen because they're afraid. Whether they win or lose, it won't be a fear factor. It won't be a confidence thing. It won't be a competence thing. It will be a tight game they might win or lose. And so you're right, there's a real glut. I was looking at, there's a ton of teams actually that could go deep in this tournament. And there's about five that could be like, we could win this. And there's, um, whether we announce it publicly or not, we should be thinking seriously about winning this. We should be visualizing it. That makes sense. So, Musa Kwonga. Yes. Who is your pick to win the 2022 World Cup? It's Brazil. Oh, it's Brazil. It's Brazil because this has a feel of, Brazil, of a World Cup 2002 about it. Not that the front line is as good because there's nothing that will rival Ronaldinho, Rivaldo, Ronaldo. Nothing is that. No. The range of firepower that Brazil have and the speed with which they can get it to their forwards and the unity in that squad and the fact that Brazil tends to excel the further they are from Brazil itself. They don't like playing yeah, yeah. in the home country, but when Brazil are far from, when Brazil are far afield, they tend to excel and the squad feels and seems united. It's extremely, Brazil are extremely dangerous. And I think actually this is going to be a World Cup where firepower becomes a thing because especially in the hotter climates, we saw humidity, right? Humid climates, Brazil just balling out. If it was like, you know, average temperature, 15, whatever degrees, and it's not energy sapping, but the thing about Brazil is they're so used to playing energy sapping conditions, mm. hot conditions, and going at it. This is what, this is like almost terraformed for them, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? So that's it makes my total sense. I mean, th I think Brazil is such a big shout, but I, there is something about, there's something about Brazil that just makes me think they've got a slip up. Oh, they definitely, you know, it's funny about this. It's funny you should say this because I looked at the last time they, they slipped up was a 2010, that brilliant team that was moving through the gears. They went a goal down after being, they went, they went 2-1 down to Holland mm -hmm. and just couldn't, Netherlands, sorry, and just couldn't recover because it was the first time in the tournament they'd received a substantial blow. Mm. The reason why this feels different is because You've got someone like Casemiro who's ready to risk it all. Like Casemiro has won everything, right? So for him, actually, it's an underrated kind of last dance. Yeah. There are Brazil players that basically, they don't, this Neymar. Brazil team. 
These people have won. This is the scary thing for Brazil's opposition. The major, the protagonists in this team have won the big European trophies. They've done it. They've done the Champions League. Vinicius done the Champions League. Neymar done the Champions League. Like Casemiro done it multiple times. So actually, if they go absolutely like all in and get knackered for the rest of the season, a lot of them, of course, they're professionals. They care, but they don't, they don't care to the same degree. They're not holding anything back for the domestic season. This is the, this is the moment. Plus the thing about someone like Martinelli being in the mix, what makes them so dangerous, Brazil, is that Martinelli is perfectly primed to, for takeoff because he's in a team where he's not got primary, secondary, tertiary responsibility. So he can just be Martinelli. He can get 20 minutes here and there and just go into like, into stellar mode. The same mm-hmm. way that Thierry Henry could in 98 because Thierry Henry wasn't being relied on, right? So this is the perfect composition of like, they've got the perfect balance, I think, of experience. Like having uh, Danny Alves just there in the background, just to talk through training stuff. I think Danilo's going to be fine at right back, actually. All of that. They're just, they're, they're, they're on a mission, I think. And I know Messi's on one too, but I think the help, the help that that front line is going to get is going to be the key. Yeah. Going back to what I was saying before about there being an unknown, mm. I can't see any team in the tournament having a clear path to the final. You know, like no, for example, like Brazil and Argentina, if they're going to, if either of them are going to win it, well, they play each other in the semis. I think if they, t- if they top their group, mm. I think it's so difficult. I, I'm, I think Spain are going a little bit under the radar overall because I think Spain should have beat Italy in the semi-final in uh, the Euros. Yes, I agree. I agree. Just the finishing. It was the finishing. I think Spain would have done England in the final. I think they're a little bit more evolved now. They've obviously got the emergence of Gavi in midfield. Mm. There's a big decision to make in midfield for Spain though. So much of what Spain will do in this tournament is, is focused around the cohesion of their, between their backline and midfield. Mm-hmm. And they're just gonna they're gonna have to score goals from midfield. But the, the, the thing, it's this thing about I love about this. Pedri started scoring goals from midfield. Yeah, right. And Uruguay are gonna need goals from midfield. They started doing that too. This is what's so interesting. Players are adding things to their games in a really fascinating way. Like what you said about Spain, I absolutely agree. They were spectacular in that semi final. Busquets was unbelievable. The best midfielder really in that semi, and that's saying a lot because Pedri was alongside him. I still feel that the best version of Spain is a fully fit Busquets. Even if the game is fast, I still think Busquets is, is the master and he has like one last, I do think that he has like one last big set of performances in him mm-hmm. and then no more. But the thing is, it's also the danger people are going to target him like never before. They're going to absolutely flood. And the thing is, you look at the elite teams, they love pressing. And this is the Argentina's midfield, I think, is slightly under the radar in terms of a player like Paredes, who doesn't get enough. Yeah, the Lo Celso thing for Argentina is big. It's huge. The, Lo, the loss of Lo Celso is enormous because mm. of his understanding with Messi. But then again, Di Maria, oh. Di Maria's inj- it's, it's Di Maria's fitness. It's the thing. It's all about his fitness. If that man says injury free, then Argentina are like a lethal. And I think what I love again about this tournament is you've got teams like Germany. Germany, I think, are a cut below, um, a cut below Spain. And at the same time, someone like Musiala, who is so fearless, can take them to new levels. I think, I still think Germany have too much of a problem with their attack to really go as deep as they should in this tournament. I think it does come down to 
goals. And I think if you look at Argentina, Spain and Brazil, Spain do have the finishing actually. We well, saw it. Yeah. I mean, they do have the goals like, in them. Yeah. But the thing is, there isn't like an out and out nine. I mean, I think that Ferran Torres needs to score goals. You got Ansu. I think we'll score goals. And create space. But create then room. you've got, I think that the interesting thing for me with Spain's forward line is, is the ability to bring off on someone like Nico Williams. Terrifying. Like, <laughs> I know, I know. I, he, I'm really hyped to see what he's, he does in this World Cup. Because a player. the Williams brothers are long-time Stadio favourites. They are indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Luis Enrique as a coach, you know, as an asset, as a specific asset, someone who is just gutsy as hell and can build a team spirit. And I think a lot of it comes down to spirit, doesn't it, in the end? Mm. And this is the thing. These teams are like, either the individual players or the coaches are, are battle-tested. Like Brazil having won the Copa America like three years ago, huge. Argentina having won the Copa recently, enormous. Like the, these, none of these major teams are going into it afraid. And we've seen previous tournaments where big teams have either been sort of past their peak aging or not quite ready for the moment. I look at this and think the big teams are all ready for the moment, actually. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's what makes it intriguing because I think the only, I, I would worry a little bit about France to a degree, but I think that they've still got enough. I think losing, losing in Cuckoo before the... That's a horrible loss, isn't that's awful. Yeah, that's awful. it's such a shame. Um, also, the shit that Kamavinga was getting because of it, it was just grim. So fucking grim. The, the sad thing about that as well, the Nkunku injury that puts him out, there was um, a stat, I think it was the Athletic, but no, Fifth Pro put it out about there's on average about 30 odd days, 31, 31 or 37 days between the end of the domestic season and the start of the World Cup. So Nkunku might have been fine under a regular, a regular schedule. Yeah, yeah. I mean, having said and this that's, as well. That's just I mean, one of the horrible I mean, things Af about this I mean, World Af Cup. Like, yeah. AFCON is, I mean, AFCON yeah. is mid-season as well. So AFCON, AFCON players will be like, actually, we experience this the whole time. We have to go through this the yeah, whole time. So sure. there, is that, there is that aspect. But at the same, the Nkunku thing is so sad because the form he was in. He offered something genuinely different to the other forwards in the, the France forward line. Like the dimension that he offers them is, is very different. So mm. I'm just a bit gutted for him, to be honest. Yeah, me too. I'm, not, I'm still not sold on Germany yet. No, me neither. I, I, again, though, I think this is the thing. Because we haven't really seen enough international football in the lead up to it, I don't know. It just feels like you're really feeling your way through it. Mm. This sounds like a bit of a cop-out in terms of a prediction, but I, from a football point of view, this is... I know we started the show being a bit like, oh, no, not that excited about it um, because of everything else. But strictly from a, in a football sense, it's super exciting because... I genuinely don't, I genuinely think like one of four, potentially even five teams could win the World Cup. I agree. I agree. Who do you think it's going to be the golden boot? Well, that's, it's a tough one because the major teams, I think, are more inclined to share goals among them. It's not like, again, 2002, where, well, the one difference 2002 Brazil is that you had Ronaldo was clearly the person that's going to get the main amount of goals. But with this, I think the goals will be shared more evenly. <sighs> Golden Boot is normally a team that gets off to a... There's not even a weak group, though. 
This is the weird thing. Do you know who I think it might be? A lot of this is down to the group. I think Mbappe might be in for a Do you know, I, I wonder because I don't know if Mbappe gets that many goals in Group D. I think that actually group, I think actually it could be something like a Group A. I think it could be. I don't think Sadio Mane is a bad shout. Ooh. I don't think he's a bad shout, actually. If he plays, though, is he going to miss the first game? Yeah, if that, yeah that's, a different, that's a different calculation, isn't it? Who's the first game they've got? Is it uh, Senegal, Netherlands? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because I don't know, I, I can't see any striker filling their boots in the, in the group stages. Harry Kane is a shout. You, you, you can imagine Harry Kane being ahead going into knockouts because he's had three penalties. <laughs> Those are like tight games, though. Yeah. Those are like the, such tight but games. So, but sometimes that, that's where the golden boots come from. Can I say, actually, while we're talking about that, that group, a quick shout out for Iran because yeah. they've taken, some of those players actually have made bold stands yeah. for freedom. And also there's, even picking them has, in, has entailed an element of risk. I want to just mention that very quickly and bookmark that because I think sometimes it's important to appreciate that like, it's really bold taking those stands because it's not just you, it's your family and your friends. Because the regime might be like, yeah, you're like a famous footballer and you're protected by that visibility. You might be playing in Germany, you can speak out about the, the protests and against the regime, but like you've got friends and family back home in those small towns. Yep. So I just want to bookmark that quickly and say those a, are the this pressures. This is a really yeah. good point actually to loop it back to kind of what we were saying before about I think the, re- the difference in the critiquing of the World Cup a lot of the time as well. Because for example, mm. Tyro Mings went after a senior politician in a senior cabinet minister after the Euros. One of the greatest tweets of all time. Yes. <laughs> and this is the thing I want to say, like, so specifically Sardar Asmoon, Sardar Asmoon playing for Bayer Leverkusen, playing for Iran as well, this World Cup, mm. is in the squad. And it was a really big deal he was even picked because he was critical of the regime. And yeah. that is a level of bravery. And I, look, I just think it's about, we can say players should take a stand, but when they do take a stand, we really have to applaud them on a different level because that's, I love that players take them, you don't get me wrong. I think that's amazing. This is an order of magnitude braver. It is brave to speak out about racism, absolutely, in the UK. And fundamentally also, the level of tax you get for that, as brutal as they are, so, and they are brutal. Yeah. You're not going to be pulled in front of the government. This is, and this, like, if you saw how harrowing it was for these footballers after, like, missing penalties, and you regard the next level of it, it's like, wow. Like, yeah. these footballers in the UK were brave for that. They were very brave for that. And what they're doing in Iran is something else. And... I just want people to remember how hard it is for them and like to, to support them as much as possible in what they're doing because they're really trying. And it, it may look from the outside, oh, they could be doing more. Like, trust me. Like, I mean, I just got, this is a bit emotional for me because I had a conversation last week. I didn't tell you this actually, Ryan, but I had a conversation last week with one of my dad's friends. You did. We, we, we talked about it. Oh, right. Well, he got in touch and he told me the story of my dad's yeah. exodus or escape from Uganda, an authoritarian state under Idi Amin. And my dad basically walked 300 kilometers on foot because they were basically taking members of his ethnic group out and disappearing them. Murder, torture, dumping them, whatever, in rivers. Like that is, that is the context in which Iran's players are protesting. That's the level. So anyway, just to mention that. But yeah, Kane Golden Boots. <laughs> Bring it back to the... <laughs> there you go. Hey, listen. Listen, we contain multitudes. <laughs> but yeah, but, but anyway, so... I mean, to honest, I, don't, I, I really don't know who's going to win by Golden Boot. I think, I think Mbappe <sighs> might. I, I think because I'm trying to think of a team that might go to the final. I, I think the goals are too shared around Brazil. I think, I think Lewandowski's a good shout. Yeah, I just don't think Poland are going to get the games, though. Yeah, but he I might think just you need to go like semi-final, final, really. 
You say that, but Oleg Solenko went thermonuclear in one game and got it, didn't he? He got five in one game and then got like six in the end and he took it. I think that the way that Lewandowski's playing, he might absolutely go off. Like I can see him getting two in a two-all draw against Argentina, for example, where Argentina are like, mm, we've got to fix that. I can see him getting two against Mexico and I can see him just going off against Saudi Arabia. Because when Lewandowski's got that thing in him, he's got that like, he's got that dog in him, as Carl Anker oh. would say. Like, he's got that dog in him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So you're saying Levin Dogski? Levin Dogski. <laughs> Paul Thomas Muller on it. <laughs> Are we going to go for dark horses or anything like that? Because or... Wrighty's House did some great takes this week. They did that Carl, Carl Anker Amnesty hot take, mm. which I was really into. Well, who's your thing about uh, dark horses? Because someone, someone, I think Peter Seeley wrote to me and said, oh, I thought you might mention Canada as a dark horse. I'm like, no, they're like, they're the champions of North America. They're not dark horses. That's like, they're horses. They're horses. <laughs> You're a horse. Like Belgium. Belgium were not a dark horse. They were just a horse. They were just like a traditionally underperforming big name. I genuinely don't know, actually. I'm not sure if Denmark classes as a... They don't, they don't qualify as a dark no. horse. They're Denmark. Yeah, that's the thing. They're a horse. If you've made yourself too known... too many horses in this race. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think there are, do you know what? I might go for, I put it this way. I don't think group B is going to be easy going. Oh no, no, that's awful. It's horrible. And, uh, horrible, horrible. You know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if let's say one of the top two favorites didn't make it out of that group. That feels like a low scoring group. That feels like an emotionally exhausting group. I mean, it's a geopolitical nightmare. Yeah, for a start. I'd like that's the, that's to be the honest. Problem. Like, you it's, know, you're yeah. talking about Udion getting everyone's best game. England are going to get everyone's best game this year in this group. They are. They are. And do you know what? They fucking deserve it. <laughs> 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 they're coming at us. They're going to. They're going to come at us for sure. Yeah. I don't really know about Dark Horse. Do you know what I think the Dark Horse will be our coverage? That's true. Actually, do you know what? it might be a catfish? <laughs> Can we just say this though? The best food, Group H. I wouldn't argue with that actually. Group H, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and South, South Korea. Korea. Oh my God, the variety. Yeah. You got the wow. best job off in Africa. You got the oh. best job off in Africa. <laughs> oh. Sorry, I just felt, I felt, I literally felt my phone heat up. <laughs> no, I'm being ridiculous. You know what it is? That's, I'm just being ridiculous. I don't mean about the job off. We all know the best job off is actually. No, no. That's um, redacted. <laughs> I think the food, the food, I think group yeah, E. Group H, group H is the food group. group. Group H is the food group. Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. I mean, goodness. There's a lot of pomace in group F. There's a lot you of know, pomace. Yeah, big pomace energy. Belgium, Canada. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other major predictions from the World Cup? Not in terms of the football, I would say. Not in terms of the football. No, I think it's uh, going to be eventful. I think that there will be, I think also this, go, just looping it back to our, our first the part one of the show I think that part of my feelings around it is that it kind of feels like something's going to happen you know I hope it doesn't at all but I just I feel like some I just, just I just some of the feeling. pre-tournament just, noises yeah, yeah just some of the do you know what it is some of the pre-tournament noises with like um, just like the pushback different sort of groups of journalists are getting and just the kind of unrest about you know fans arriving to go oh this accommodation wasn't quite it's just the unrest there's a lot of noise 
there's a lot, there's actually a bit too much noise already, just from a purely organizational standpoint, like regardless of like the geopolitical backdrop, just in terms of the, the capacity, you know, there's yeah. a numbers issue. This is, this is a, a lot of people in one place at one time. That isn't used to having that, that many people in there. Yeah. And that just on a purely logistical basis, regardless of anything else. So that again is a concern. Yeah. Let's see, man. Let's see. Anything else you want to cover before we go? I think we're good. You know, I think we're good. Uh, yeah. Can I just say, actually, maybe just quickly, um, just a quick shout out for Abdullah Ibais, because he was a member of the, um, he was working for the Qatar World Cup organizers. And he was like, hey, you know what? Like the way that um, the workers are being treated, it's, it's not cool. And he's really suffered for that. So I just thought I'd mention that just because there is someone who, who just really cared about a fairer deal. And I think yeah. it's important to highlight those people within the organizations who are like, you know, they, 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 there, was, um, there was a whistleblower before about the whole tendering process, like Fader al-Majid. And I think it's worth just mentioning that person, Abdullah, just because it's very lonely, actually, when you're in a starting institution, not just for Qatar, but for FIFA, it's really lonely at times. You saw it with Michael Zenruffin at FIFA, like it's really lonely trying to do the right thing um, when you're part of an institution, organization or country that you care for, that you want to be the best version of itself. And I know there are people in Qatar that want the country to be a better version of itself. Mm-hmm. And he's one of them, and you pay a huge price for being out there by yourself. So I just think that he deserves that mention because he's the kind of person that's going to push this sport in the right direction. Hopefully, his legacy, his bravery is like people going. Maybe in future, when people do this stuff. They shouldn't be as as alone. They shouldn't be as isolated. So I just wanted to mention him. That's all right. If you aren't watching the World Cup, there's obviously still unbelievable an unbelievable amount of football going on. Arsenal are hosting Manchester United in the WSL this Saturday. At Emirates Stadium, 35,000 confirmed sold tickets. Wonderful. So the Super League's going on. There's also Women's Champions League is back next week as well. Um, there's obviously low-level club games going on. Still a lot of football to get into if you, mm. you want to watch non-World Cup stuff. So, yeah, and there'll be plenty, plenty of you. I know that for a fact, even among my own friends. So yeah. And also, we need to do a shout-out. Florence yes, yes, Lloyd yes. Hughes. Hughes. Yes. There is a new show coming on Monday. On the Ringer, called Counterpressed, and it's hosted by Flo Lloyd Hughes. Search for Counterpressed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure you subscribe. I can't believe they who gave smash that subscribe button. Oh my goodness, who Chaos gave Flo her own show. Oh my god! And do you know what? <laughs> I can't even help. I'm she's on her own. I can't help. So it's, on, it's Becky's responsibility. You know this is on Flo because you know what? We cannot be held accountable for her chaos now. People are going to see it. And she's brilliant. Here's a song. Someone who, what to say about Flo, not to embarrass her too much, but she can't stop us because we're on our own podcast. Um, someone who any time they turn up anywhere. Vibes go up. Automatically. Unless she's talking about England, men. 50% better. Yeah. <laughs> but just, just, just um, a brilliant, smart, principled, and a unique football mind. And a very special member of the football community. And it's just, it's just so great that she's got this platform. I'm really excited for her. Love really it. Really excited for her. Yeah. So love hyped. It. Go and subscribe. Stadio will be back on, uh, we are going to be recording straight after USA Wales on Monday. Goodness. We will talk about England, Iran and the USA Wales and Senegal, Netherlands and Qatar, Ecuador. And then the first Writers House episode will be on Tuesday. And uh, that will obviously be heavily focused on England, Iran. So there you go. Back on Monday late European mm. time. Don't forget to check theringer.com forward slash soccer 
Don't forget to check Wright's house. Don't forget to search and subscribe for Flo's Counterpressed. Counterpressed. <laughs> Don't forget to check the Stadio so Actress Plays on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out on End of the Page by Bulbous Creation. Anything you want to add, Moose Nothing further. Nothing further. All right, everyone. Have a lovely weekend. We will be back with you late on Monday evening. See you then. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.